for us, and I can't speak for all venture capital funds, I yeah. think it's, it's always been the, the idea of how do we create positive change in the world through the investments that we make. And, you know, you have to think about this as a very long-term, uh, very long-term process. So we're looking for those macro changes that would, would allow us to do things completely differently. This exponential change, exponential impact, um, both financial impact, obviously, as a venture capital firm, but also human impact of things that would drive big changes in the world. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, in partnership with Leomitech, sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Opus Labs, Synergy Global, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, Birthright Excel, Serona Partners, and in media partnership with C-Tech. I am so incredibly excited for this episode. Meet Dror Berman, the founding partner at Innovation Endeavors, which he co-founded with Eric Schmidt. He invests in early-stage startups that are driving exponential rates of change in their industries, leading to a super-evolution. Dror has invested in over 100 different companies from seed through Series B. He led the firm's investments in Uber, SoFi, Planet, Zimmergen, Freenome, Blue River Technologies, and others. Before becoming an investor, he was a team leader of R&D at NICE Systems. He earned an MBA from Stanford Graduate School of Business and a Bachelor's of Science in Computer Science from Ben-Gurion University. He is an ML7 associate at Creative Destruction Lab and a member of the Steering Committee of Israel Collaboration Network. Welcome, Droll. Droll Berman, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for I, coming. Thank you so much for inviting me to the, I have to tell you, it's one of the most beautiful offices I've seen. Uh, we're in the middle of Palo Alto and California Avenue, overlooking Stanford in one direction with the beautiful trees. The energy is amazing. Uh, we're on the third floor right now. There's still a roof above us and there's more offices downstairs. Really just an inspiring location. And I think it fits for, for the vision and the mission that you're on with Innovation Endeavors. Uh, that uh, that he started 10 years ago with Eric Schmidt, of course. Um, looking at the future in a bit of a different light. Dol, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and what is IE? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. I've been a great fan, um, big fan since you started it. And uh, it's so exciting to see how, mu- how much has been done over the last year uh, on 20 Minute Leaders. Thank so you. thanks for having me on, on, this, uh, on this podcast. So um, uh, maybe a little bit about myself. I'm from Israel originally, as you, as you know by now. Uh, I have a technology background growing up. I then moved to spend a few years on a special forces side. So I guess for a few years, I was a, a monkey that carried technology on his back. And then concluded it was much better actually to build stuff. So went back to study computer science and bioinformatics. Uh, tried my luck as an engineer for a few years in Israel before concluding I wanted to do something slightly different and ended up coming here to get my MBA uh, actually just across the street. Literally across Tenfold. the street. Literally across the street. So it's, uh, you know, I came like everybody else uh, that comes to Stanford. I was, uh, I came with the idea that I'll, I'll spend a couple of years studying, uh, getting my MBA in my case, and then maybe work for a couple of years and then go back. But that never really worked out that way. You know, we, we ended up, uh, my wife and I ended up uh, uh, staying here, it's been almost 15 years wow. now. Uh, and three kids later, we're quite happy. Uh, it's been it's been a phenomenal journey and a, a great adventure, which was really what I was looking for when I came here. Right. Um, about a, a decade ago, uh, I ended up partnering or meeting Eric Schmidt, who was one of my professors at Stanford and was then the CEO of Google. <clears throat> we started working together in 2009 and in 2010, 
we got excited about this idea, about this uh, uh, concept of what we call the super evolution that you just mentioned. Uh, we recognized at the time, after having a lot of deep discussions, that the world was changing and it was changing very, very quickly. And while we were accelerating technology in many different ways and domains, these technology advances were not necessarily uh, advancing a lot of the, the problems that were really important for us uh, back then, but also as we hypothesized the problem would, would be important for us over the next few decades. We were looking at some of the, the bigger things that uh, we would need to solve over the next uh, 20, 30 years, anything from uh, dealing with a much bigger population and how do we feed this, uh, this current population, thinking about uh, how do we accelerate, uh, how do we accelerate uh, uh, the way we think about life sciences, both on the therapeutic side as well as diagnostics, to deal with some of the pandemics that we, we knew back then that would sort of come back often and all, uh, again and again that we would need to, to deal with, uh, as well as uh, thinking about climate change, obviously, and things that we would need to do in order for us to um, live in a world that was, uh, uh, was livable, I guess, in that way. But I have a question for you, Dron. You know, everything that you're just mentioning, it's, it's fascinating, and obviously these are things that we need to be tackling. But sitting where you were 10 years ago with Eric, what was different then about the way that you're approaching these problems? Because these are problems that we hear politicians talking about them. And, and if we ask what are the urging problems in the world, what, what is lacking still in our industry as we're, as we're talking about these problems? Yeah, I think as we sort of spend a lot of time thinking about those problems, we recognize that one of the key issues that was preventing us from solving those problems was the <clears throat> the innovation cycles that we were using as, as humanity to actually advance innovation in those domains. Um, essentially, in a lot of those domains, you would, have a, you would have a scientist or a group of scientists that would work together, come up with a hypothesis of what they wanted to test or what they wanted to do, then would essentially build this experiment, run it, and then see what came back on the other side, and then use, mostly use the success of what worked rather than everything that didn't work as well to essentially design the next set of experiments. And obviously, you're always limited by the number of scientists that you can have, by the, the amount of time it takes to run an experiment and so on. So everything was pretty serial and incremental and slow. And in some of those industries that were very important, if you think about you know, the, the life sciences world, for example, it would time, sometimes take decades to actually get, go through a step function improvement to find something new, right? And it would take, you know, increasingly actually over the last 10 years, it's now taking us uh, twice the amount of time and twice the amount of money to bring a new drug to market. Wow. So we knew that if you forecast this into the future, this was just not sustainable. We couldn't really be in a place where we were not innovating quickly enough to solve some of the problems. And 2020, um, or the last year, or the last year and a half, as much as they've been really hard for all of us, they've also been great in the sense that it really highlighted a lot of those things that uh, need to be done, right? right? I mean, anything from uh, dealing with the pandemic, of course, and, and uh, having this need to come up with a solution in, in, in months or weeks rather than, you know, wait decades or wait, you know, a few years until we have a vaccine in place, right? We had to innovate faster. Um, we all, the, f the folks that live here in California have all felt uh, the smoke that, that came up as, you know, we had huge fires around, uh, around California and it became an annual thing now. It's not just a one-off. It was happening every, really every summer over the last uh, few years. So, um, you know, everybody recognized that this is, this is, uh, things are different. We have to solve things now in a very different way and we have to move faster. And maybe the last example there would be um, even cities and governments. And we think about 
citizen government making decisions, you know, obviously we all think about the slowest moving entities in the world that need to take years or decades to react. Over COVID, they all understood that they have to move within framework, time frameworks of sometimes 24 hours or even less to actually react to something that is going on and make a decision. So they're all increasingly looking for ways to innovate faster, make decisions faster, and hopefully make the right decisions as well. 10 years, 150 investments, 20 unicorns. Uh, you know, if, if I, by looking at you know, the portfolio companies, I, I get excited. And, and the reason I get excited is because I'm look, you're, you're looking at vastly different industries from agriculture tech like Plenty and Afresh to we're looking at space technology to satellite imagery to autonomous fleet uh, to DevSecOps. I mean, really across the spectrum, but what the connecting dots among all of them, from my perspective, is this idea of looking at really bold ideas that are that if they work, are positioned to change the way we think about this industry. And now you've raised, uh, you've announced your next fund, a $500 million fund. And I love that first sentence that you wrote on the Medium post, because that sentence was, I think, that we now have an, we, it, there's an urgency to promote positive, to promote positive change, right? And, and that was really inspiring. Tell me a little bit about, you know, why, what, where does this urgency that you're feeling? Now, you mentioned this a little bit before, but in the context of the last 10 years as well. Yeah, I, I think that um, I've always been an optimist. And I think that my role as an investor is to be an optimist, <laughs> right? So in spite of all those challenges we talked about earlier, we recognize, Eric and I, this is back in 2010. And since then, that's the work we've been, we've been working towards is that we can now solve a lot of those problems. We can now start implementing or applying technology <clears throat> to actually move faster in a lot of those domains. And that, that's sort of what, what kept me uh, excited about the role I've been doing is I can actually, I'm in a position now to help a lot of those people who have those huge visions and those big dreams to essentially exercise those, those dreams and build those kind of companies that change the world. And um, what really made us optimi optimists uh, at that time was this idea of the super evolution, right? We basically, we came up with the thesis that, you know, if you look at the, that um, if you look at technology at that time and even increasingly uh, now, um, we were just really coming up to a space where there was certain categories of technologies that were emerging and converging to allow us to move faster in a lot of those uh, uh, markets that I mentioned. Uh, one of those was instrumentation and data, right? The, the ability to now capture data, uh, mostly in the physical, increasingly also in the biological world, uh, that was really never captured before, and capture huge amounts of data. It's just a sort of anecdotal data. We can now essentially instrument almost every aspect of the physical world, and increasingly a lot of different aspects of the biological world, such that we can understand what's going on. Right. The second thing was uh, computation, and really having this ability to now <clears throat> take large amounts of data and run compute on them, whether it's in the cloud or increasingly at the edge. And if you think about, and I know you're an expert in, in uh, AI and machine learning, we can now take all this data, digest it and infer insights and recommendations in a way that was never possible before as well. So we can all do, we can do this now, maybe 100x or 1000x uh, better, faster, cheaper than even just you know a few years ago. And this was groundbreaking at the time and even more so is, is the case today. And then the third part was this idea of engineering, advanced engineering, the advances we were seeing in, in engineering, <clears throat> both across automation uh, and robotics in the physical world, but also this idea that we could now engineer the biological world. So essentially, if you think about it in a computer science context, we could now read, process, and write 
back into the physical and biological world in a way that wasn't possible right. before. And for us, what we recognized was this idea that this allows us now to essentially take those innovation circuits that I talked about earlier, put them now in the context of uh, um, uh, a completely new architecture. We can have machines at the center of the cycle designing, building, and, and testing different hypotheses at a completely different scale, but also at a fraction of the time and cost right. we're all used to. So we can now run 1,000x experiments or 1,000x more experiments in some of those industries at one one thousandth of the cost and time. Right. Right? So it can, it can essentially collapse time uh, in, in sort of the way we innovate. Right? And that was groundbreaking concept for us because we recognize that if you now think about it and thinking about this machine learning concept of closed loop learning, we can now learn from all the different experiments, uh, also the 99% it, it of accelerates the learning. Yeah. Exactly. So this is now becoming this idea that we can now uh, grow in a nonlinear way. And we call this concept the super evolution. Right. So thinking that we are going to start seeing companies that are going <clears throat> to be uh, moving at, at a pace that we have never seen before. And, and that also, industries. that speaks also to the thesis of saying, you know, we're seeing all these amazing technologies around us that are incredible. Yet we're still in the infancy of deep technology and where we're going to be headed with, with the way technology advances. It's, there, there's still so much room to grow, uh, which I think is fascinating. But well, one thing that I really want to gra grab a piece of your mind at, you know, the traditional venture capital model, we're seeing companies, we're looking at pain points that are happening. We evaluate the way that the companies, that the companies is progressing towards their goal, their, their sales metrics, their, their engagement and we're trying to uh, estimate and project what's going to happen in the next quarter and month over month growth. We hear that a lot, right? I'm getting the sense that you're not looking as much at that as you are at, you know, let's think down the line. And what does the company have to do in years worth of time in terms of the technology in order to bridge a bigger pain point, right? It's a little bit of a different model of thinking for a venture capital uh, fund. I mean, I, I think for us, and I can't speak for all venture capital funds, I yeah. think it's, it's always been the, the idea of how do we create positive change in the world through the investments that we make. And, you know, you have to think about this as a very long-term, uh, very long-term process. So we're looking for those macro changes that would, would allow us to do things completely differently. This exponential change, exponential impact, um, both financial impact, obviously, as a venture capital firm, but also human impact of things that would drive big changes in the world. So we've been less excited about <clears throat> companies that, uh, consumer internet companies that are changing, you know, incrementally becoming the next Facebook or Twitter uh, or TikTok or whatever, and sort of more interested in how do, we, how do we think about the new space industry, right? What kind of things would be possible now that those technologies are coming to play? And... We've had a lot of different um, conclusions, I guess, and I, maybe I'll try to synthesize some of that and, and you know, share my thinking about what do I think the, the next decade would look like, uh, to, to your point. Uh, so few learnings that we've had over this period of time and, and how we're thinking about this, uh, um, uh, how, how we're thinking about the future. So uh, the first insight we've had is that, you know, the, the, the hypothesis that we have initiated, I said, is actually working. and and. It's from 10 years ago. For 10 years ago, yeah. So basically, we're starting to see it's working now uh, in the sense that uh, we're seeing companies that... Um, uh, we're seeing big companies that have been created in industries that even a decade ago, just over a decade ago, have been considered untouchable. 
Um, we are seeing that in companies um, uh, such as Uber, which was one of our early portfolio companies, which is a great example, I think, of, for a company that completely changed the way we're thinking about transportation, right? And they've been working in an industry that very few people thought at the time would actually be, you would be able to change it, right? Because of regulation, because of a million different things. And here you had the company that was maybe one of the fastest growing companies in history that completely changed the way we're thinking about moving things around. Um, similarly, we had companies in the space industry that I mentioned earlier. So thinking about Planet, uh, one of our companies just about to go public, that took a completely new approach to the satellite industry, right? And again, this is an industry where satellites would sometimes take uh, a decade to build, would cost hundreds of millions of dollars, would be extremely heavy, you know, weigh a few tons and so on. And thinking about what could be done differently now and how do we change this industry through a completely new architecture of a satellite and then end up building a much smaller satellite, much cheaper one. So um, think about a satellite would cost maybe like an average car, it would be this size roughly, and we would be able to build it within weeks, build and launch it within weeks. And here we are just a few years later, they now operate one of the, the largest fleets of satellite in the world. They have. Uh, I think they've launched over 400 satellites during this period of time. They have 200 currently in orbit. And most interestingly, they've built this um, capability through those imagery satellites to now image the entire world on a daily basis. All right, so completely changed the industry. Not only that, both Planet as well as Uber have created not only this, this role model for a lot of entrepreneurs that uh, they've shown them they can actually change those industries that nobody wanted to touch before, but also that you can do it, you can do it at a... At a at the time frame that allow you to grow a very big company uh, yeah. through this sort of VC industry. And they're creating this platform, both talent platforms, but also technological platforms that others can use now to completely uh, change what they have done over the last 10 years and do it faster than they have done that as well. Right. <clears throat> so we're starting to see this, uh, this exponential phenomena happening. And, and again, for us, it's just a, a great proof that um, uh, you can now change those industries. You can do it faster than everybody thought. And we think that actually over the next decade, we can do it even faster. What is common to the founders? And, and this is going to be a selfish question because like, you know, one day I'm looking to build a company or several companies of my own. And, you know, when I'm looking at the companies that you're backing, I mean, those are the types of problems that I as an entrepreneur want to wake up in the morning for. But I feel that it requires a personality and it requires a, some way of thinking that is that is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. What have you observed that has been successful amongst your founders in their way of thinking that and that it make that enables them to go and pursue these crazy uh, potential uh, companies? Yeah, one one of the conclusions that we have had over this period of time is that those companies that we we've backed and that have been successful are different than most companies we've done a decade before. Right. So what we are seeing there is that. Uh, they are different in the sense that they usually start with a mission and the, so the founders are starting with a mission and the mission is not to make a lot of money or to build a big company. The mission is to solve a very big problem right. that the world cares about, right? And I think increasingly the world cares about mission-driven companies because it does allow you to recruit better talent, does allow you to attract certain kind of investors and so on and so forth. So mm -hmm. I think it was sort of a, one interesting aspect of those founders that um, we've seen is just to start with a big vision and it's usually sort of a mission-driven vision. The second thing is that, um, that, that that we've seen with those companies is that they tend to be uh, multidisciplinary. So it's not uh, as much of a single domain type of company that, you know, if you want to start Facebook, sure, you have 
you know, starting consumer Indian company, there is a, a certain, certain type of talent you would want to hire for this company. But if you're starting a new company in the tech biospace, for example, and, you know, take my company, uh, Acon Therapeutics, for example, they had to assemble some of the, the best uh, people in the world across so many different fields, right? You have, uh, you have some of the best biologists and some of the best uh, chemists, but also you have some of the best computer scientists, uh, roboticists, you know, mechanical engineers and so on. Incredible. All coming together to build a team that works. And those teams just tend to look very differently. So you sort of have to manage that kind of complexity and the founders need to sign up for that. Yeah. And what I think a lot of those founders realize, I think the best founders to your point realize that really the best way for you to do it is to A, come up with a mission. So we need to hire all those people. Let's come up with a mission that will attract these people. And I think increasingly, talent in the Silicon Valley and worldwide is attracted to solve those kind of, uh, uh, to join those kind of mission-driven companies. They go beyond just, we need a better salary or we need an intellectually stimulating environment. They also want to solve a big problem, so they tend to join. Um, and also, I think those founders tend to um, hire the right kind of executives earlier on. So it's it's to, to sort of manage that complexity. So we see this, uh, um, uh, looking at some of my companies that have really hired well, you know, it's, it's something that they tend to do very quickly and they tend to do to hire some of the best people in the world way ahead of the time that they should hire those people. But they tend to get, the, they, they can get them excited and they have them join very early in the journey. Was this always the plan for you? To look at the world, you know, with the wide lens, five, 10 years ahead and and be at the forefront of trying to solve some of the most difficult problems. Like, you know, if you look back at your army days, even at the GSB, is this who Droll was back then as well? I don't think so. I think that um, I was always the type of uh, person that was curious and interested in the world and trying to um, explore, a, you know, since I was a kid. And you know, think about um, my military and sort of other things. I think I was always the type that push myself to to the best I could. So whether it was the army unit that I, that I chose, whether it's coming to uh, sort of the, the graduate in Ben Gurion University or the graduate in Stanford. But I think it was really only here at Stanford when I, when I went through my MBA that when I graduated, and I remember this was in one of the courses when they, we, we did a sort of a synthesis class to sort of synthesize a lot of the learnings that we've had over the, the past couple of years at, at Stanford. Um, sort of came with the conclusion that now or at that time <clears throat> I, I, I had different capabilities. I've built my capabilities to change the world, maybe. I know it sounds, uh, it, it's sort of maybe audacious or naive or whatnot, but sort of felt like... The work speaks for itself. Given, um, given that I was here, given the amazing amount of people and talent that was here was possible, right? I saw all the people coming to my class and talking about the companies they've built. It's like, they're not that different than, than me. You know, I could do all those things. And in some ways, I also felt that I was responsible to do that, or it was my responsibility to wow. actually step up and, and think about my life goal and think about fulfillment, think about, you know, what, what would make me fulfilled by the time I'm 90 or 100 or, or whatnot to just think about the things that I've done. So I felt like I was responsible given that I was taking maybe the place of somebody else who could have been sent for that and would go out and do those kind of things. So I think that sort of put me on trajectory to 
understand the confidence and have the sense of responsibility to pursue those kind of big ideas. That do, you still, do you still have that weight on your shoulder? Right now, today, you know, one of the leaders of innovation endeavors with the incredible team that you have with Sam and Harpy and Scott and Eric. And do you feel as you're walking down the street or you're talking to your kids at home and your wife that you have a responsibility to fulfill for the world? I do. I feel like it's, um, I, I think, especially given that since then I've had kids and, and I can see and talking about what we've experienced here over the last year from COVID to the, the horrible fires around here. I do feel that um, I'm in an extremely fortunate position to affect the change. And I think it, it's time to actually, for all of us, not just me, to think about how do we improve the world and how do we live a better place after us. And again, I'm an optimist, so I'm not deterred by all these uh, things that we, we are seeing around us and mostly thinking about positively is how do we, how do we do more? And, you know, I've, I'm, I can play a role in that by uh, catalyzing more growth, by catalyzing more startups that or more uh, visionary founders that have the right idea and, and where I can partner with them or we can partner with them as a team and support them through this uh, uh, process. So I'm, I, f- I feel that that's a responsibility, but also to be honest, it's also fun. It's not that I'm carrying a big weight on my shoulders and, and, and sort of I feel sad about it. I think it's amazing. I've been so excited to do what I do. Um, I would say that it took me a long time to understand if I'm actually good at it and I'm still sort of figuring <laughs> it out to be honest, but it's, um, it just, you know, it's been, it's been a fun process. And by now I feel like I have more of a sense of, uh, where can I be effective as a, as an investor, as a, as somebody who runs this firm and how do we, you know, how do we build more and do more of that? But I'm really enjoying it. I mean, the companies that I get to work with are amazing. Uh, and I think this is an incredible job for people who like to work with a lot of different things. You know, this is just, I can start my morning with a, with a, one of my quantum computing companies, uh, Atom Computing, that is completely changing the world and the way we're thinking about uh, um, uh, what we could do with compute to Acon Therapeutics, where I'm spending time with a Nobel Prize winner and people who are building a super resolution microscope that allow us to understand biology in a completely different way than we, we understand it today. So essentially uh, looking into real, uh, looking into real uh, living cells and see the way proteins are moving, engaging with each other and build a drug discovery company based on that. All the way to Planet, uh, who just have, a, they, I just got a mail for them, they're celebrating 10 years uh, next week. And, and again, they've built an amazing company that um, has now become one of the most important satellite companies in the world, but they also help uh, the imagery that they create help us now uh, catch illegal deforestation activities in different places around the world, <laughs> illegal fishing activities and so on. So all those things are coming together to, for me, just to see, to be very proud and very excited about what I'm doing. You know, I'm looking at all the, exa- all the examples that you're giving and, and many more portfolio companies that are coming into mind immediately. And I think what's also common to them is the fact that they're not just doing one thing, that they're developing some technology or they're solving some pain point the ripple effect is, you, you can't even imagine what's going to happen. You're mentioning a few use cases for Planet or for Acorn or for Atom Computing, but really they're changing the way we interact with technology and, and, and enablement for others to then go and use that technology to continue affecting positive change in their own domain. And I think that that, that, that is just simply incredible. Yeah. And uh, I think that it's, a, it's just a, a really crazy privilege.
No, it's, it's very true. I mean, all those companies I mentioned essentially become the platform for change for the next generation of companies. Right. And, right. and that's why we're so excited about the next 10 years because we recognize that a lot of those, as I mentioned, Uber and, and Planet, as some examples, have now created uh, have now created the technological platforms for others to use. You know, that, that's one aspect. They've shown that this could be done. A lot of the technologies that I mentioned earlier on instrumentation, compute, and robotics are increasingly um, accelerating pace and sort of in a way we, we can do completely different things that we could do 10 years ago. And I think of the next 10 years, the pace of change will just increase. So we, we're going to have significantly better capabilities across all those domains, right? And a lot of my companies are actually creating these kind of uh, uh, advances and then they share it with the world such that others can build on them and so on and so forth. And then I think that... Uh, um, um, as you see more success, you know, those become again platforms uh, and, and role models for a lot of other people who want to start and do the same kind of thing. So I'm incredibly uh, excited about what's to come. And again, I think that the platform we've built and the platform our companies have built would allow us to do so much more over the next decade. So that's awesome. To, to the super evolution. Thank you. To the super well, evolution. To this was amazing. Thank you for hosting me here. Thank you for the inspiration more, more than anything. Uh, you know, the, when the, the post that you wrote about also when Amir Shabbat joining and the, the one, the anecdotes about how you're going on hikes and the, you know, part of the inspiration that you're gathering also is from the conversations that you're having with those around you talking about how, how different technologies are going to push change in, in, in our lives and, and having that be a, a, just an, an instrumental part of your daily life. Um, that's something that I, that I wish for myself. I can't think of a greater privilege and, and more fulfillment. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. Yeah, I would just say that um, it takes a village. So what I recognize early on is that as much as uh, I may be smart, and, and I think comparatively here, I'm probably not very smart. It's really... You have some amazing people around you. That's, it's it's really about the people around you. And I try to surround myself with a lot of amazing people. And I'm, I'm, I've been very lucky to build this community that I like around here and also in Israel, where I can talk to a lot of very smart people, understand... Um, what they are seeing and how they view the world, because it's, it's those people, it's a lot of times entrepreneurs that are always really at the, at the trenches, you know, yeah. the cutting edge of the network. You're always a step behind them, but trying to take all this information and see how do we help them and what can we learn so we can affect a, a better future. And I would also say that Eric Schmidt has been an amazing part of it as well, you know, from his vantage point and the things that he are seeing, he's seeing and, and the way that he's influencing us or, or, or encourages us to pursue and, and, and maybe double down on a lot of that vision. It's just been an amazing uh, opportunity for me personally to, um, to see all that and then synthesize all that and then build innovation for us to, to keep investing and partnering with entrepreneurs. Amazing. Toda.